Before we begin, I would like to say thank you for those who reached out when we took a break due to an unexpected death in our family. Your thoughts and condolences mean a lot. Thank you for your support and your patience. We hope you will enjoy our upcoming episodes, and if you do, please remember to rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory, share this episode with friends and family, and visit us on our Facebook page. Just search Unsolved Mysteries of the World. Now, let's get on with Episode 10 of Season 3. It was Labor Day weekend, 1975, and the Newton family was celebrating the holiday with a short vacation to a campsite at Natinas Point in the deep woods of northern Maine near the Canadian border. The Newtons were a young family. Ron and Jill, in their late 20s, had two children, six-year-old Kimberly and four-year-old Kurt. Both of the children were said to be incredibly beautiful. Both had piercing blue eyes and white blonde hair and were well-behaved. Each had packed their own toys for the trip. Kimberly chose a Barbie doll and Kurt picked his bright red tricycle. By the end of the weekend, that is all the Newtons would have left to remember four-year-old Kurt. He vanished without a trace. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 3, Episode 10, The Kurt Newton Vanishing. The Newtons set up camp quickly and were looking forward to enjoying a family getaway and a perfect end to a long, hot summer. School would be starting soon and they wanted to enjoy every last minute of their carefree days that June and July brought. The thick woods would offer comfort and reflection. On the night of August 31st, the family was awoken by the mournful calls of the lake loon. The ominous sound echoed throughout the night and would foretell the grief that would soon come to pass. Waking early in the morning, Ron, who did not bring his own firewood, thought that he passed a roadside stand or a garage that offered cut pieces, and so he stepped into his pickup truck and headed north on the dirt road that forked through the campsite. Kurt, who saw his father leave, started to follow him on his red tricycle. The truck picked up dust and drove off, and Kurt could not keep up and lost sight of his father. 13-year-old Lou Allen Hansen, who was preparing breakfast at another campsite, saw Kurt pedaling as fast as he could down the dirt road. "'Do your parents know where you are?' she called out to him, but he did not respond." Kurt's mother believed Kurt was playing around the campsite, and Kurt's father did not know his little son was following behind him, getting lost down the dirt roads. Kurt was riding down the middle of the road and kept away from the woods, of which he was a little scared of. He told his mother previously he believed there was monsters in the forest. Jack Hansen, the camp caretaker and father of Llewellyn, drove down the dirt road some time later, and noticed a red tricycle abandoned on the side of the road. It was fairly close to the dump, an area of discarded trash that was piled at the end of the road. Deciding the tricycle must have been left there on purpose, he tossed it into the trash heap of the dump. Meanwhile, back at their campsite, Jill Newton had lost sight of her little boy while she was washing mud off her kid's sneakers. Kurt was not the type of child to go running off and getting himself into trouble, and she figured he was just playing around as he often would. 
She thought he probably caught up to his father, and together they were chopping wood for the evening campfire. But then something started to nag at her. A crow caught above. Something was wrong. After some time passed with no sign of either her husband or her son, she offhandedly asked a few of the neighboring campers if they'd happened to see Kurt on his bike earlier. As she was chatting with them, Ron drove back with a load of firewood. Kurt wasn't in the passenger seat. Panic set in for Jill, and she frantically looked around the campsite. They then ran into Jack Hansen and asked if he had seen the little boy in his red tricycle. Jack explained how he saw the tricycle, but no sign of the boy. He took them to the trash heap where he threw the tricycle on the pile. Kurt was nowhere to be seen. Jill was breaking down and she believed he was kidnapped. But as the alarm went out to the other campers, they all believed he just wandered off into the woods and would be found safe in no time. Ron and Jill immediately began searching the nearby woods and were joined by Jack Hansen as well as a multitude of other campers. Eventually, it would turn into the largest organized search in the history of the state of Maine. Have you ever tried to find a cheap hotel room and you open up Expedia, then you open up Trivago, then Booking.com, and then Hotels.com, and so on and so on, trying to find the best deal from all the hotel discount and booking sites? What if I told you you could do one search in one window, either online or using your mobile device? What if I told you that you can take all these discount search sites, combine them into one easy-to-use app, saving time and money? It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees, including taxes, and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. Now, this isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy way to do hotel searches. Think of it as a cheap hotel search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Savings are incredible, sometimes up to 70% off. There are even options such as pay now, pay later, free cancellations, no credit cards required. With a database of over 270,000 hotels, 46,000 hostels, 500,000 bed and breakfasts, and 1.3 million apartments, you will be sure to find the best hotel at an incredible price. Now, do you want this app? Find the best hotel room at the best price. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. The local game warden flew overhead in a helicopter using a loudspeaker and calling out to Kurt, hoping to coax him out of the woods. Police started a ground search, and eventually when the media picked up the story, volunteers came forward from miles around to continue the ground search. Days and hours went by, and the young parents searched relentlessly without eating or sleeping. Ron refused to stop to rest or eat, and his friends began to worry for him. During one leg of the search, weary and dehydrated, he fell and injured his ankle. Refusing any medical help, he limped back into the woods once again. When he could not carry on any longer due to the injury, he sat at the edge of the trees with a bullhorn 
shouting Kurt's name into the woods. Eventually, a search and rescue individual laced Ron's coffee with a tranquilizer so that he could find rest. It was the only thing they could think of that would keep Ron from going insane. Jill overheard volunteers talking about special planes that the Air Force was using to hunt for gorillas in Vietnam, and she requested the state acquire these top-secret prototypes for their search. It was a long shot, but Jill was determined to get all the help she could. The planes would detect even the slightest differentials in heat from great heights, making it almost impossible for Kurt to be overlooked if he was still in the woods. The state and military agreed, and by that evening, a plane was on its way from Florida. Over the next several days, the helicopter searched from above, and volunteers searched the ground below. During one search, Jill found a depression and a hole that she believed that Kurt may have crawled into for safety and comfort. She furiously started to dig out the hole to get inside. Several volunteers helped her by hand, but when they were able to see inside, there was no little boy. As the volunteers combed the forest back and forth, back and forth, police focused in on the last known location of Kurt, where the tricycle was found. Here, they found no tracks, no traces of a struggle, no implication that someone had abducted Kurt, no discarded clothes, or even shoes that might have been ripped off during an animal attack. There was no blood. Nothing. Scent dogs were brought in and picked up on Kurt's pajamas and started off into the woods. But the dogs would end up going in circles, not able to pick up any trace that they could follow. Psychics from throughout New England offered their help. One said he is east, one said he is north in Canada, and another said west or south off the campsite. All the leads from the psychics were false. In desperation, a horse hovel was dismantled, as well as the ice house next to the camping office. The dump was bulldozed and workers sifted through clumps of dirt. Teams of volunteers with shovels dug along the tote road, but they all came up empty. It was now the fifth day into the search, and the woods had been searched as much as possible. But volunteers continued to look, and the helicopter and planes continued to fly above. To everyone, Kurt was most likely not in the woods, and probably never had been. On September 12th, the search in the woods ended. For nearly two weeks, 3,000 volunteers searched the woods. Police investigated. Helicopters flew overhead. Military planes with advanced technology scanned. And yet, nothing. Not a single clue. Jill and Ron pressed the police about looking into a possible child abduction, but the police were not convinced this was the case either. They explained that the campsite was very rural. It was on a dead-end dirt road. It was not the kind of place where someone would sit and wait to prey on children. As far as anyone at the nearby campsites could remember, no one had followed him into the woods that day. All the campers had alibis, too. The case was essentially cold. From the beginning, we never discounted the possibility that Kurt was abducted, said State Police Lieutenant G. Paul Falconer, 
who headed the initial investigation, and added, There are no facts to indicate he's not in the woods. A team of investigators interviewed everyone known to have been at the campground, using polygraphs when in doubt. One camper reported that she had seen a white station wagon roar out of the campground, leaving a cloud of dust in its wake, shortly after the time Kurt disappeared. But no such car was registered at the campground, and nobody else reported seeing it. Upon further questioning, the camper hedged. Perhaps she'd been mistaken. Experienced trackers reported they could find no evidence of recent vehicle traffic on the logging road beyond where Ron Newton had been cutting wood, the only road available for a backdoor abduction. With so many children available in the cities, why would a kidnapper come to one of the most remote campgrounds in the state, hoping to find a child riding a tricycle alone down a deserted road? Asked State Police Detective Richard Cook who assumed charge of the investigation. There was a grim report that a captive bear, often teased by local children, might have been released a few miles from the campground shortly before Kurt disappeared. A bear could have carried Kurt swiftly outside the area, experts conceded, but it was highly improbable that there would be a complete absence of signs like footprints from the bear. The Newtons posted missing posters deep into the woods, warning hunters to report any unusual signs. And then the snow came, and Ron had his snowmobile to take him deeper into the backcountry until winter grew raw, and even he was forced to say enough is enough. By then, they had decided that Kurt was not in the woods, that he had never been. They believed he had been taken, by someone, somehow, and probably was still safe. The Newtons never gave up. They sent out pictures of Kurt to schools across the country, hoping that if someone did snatch him, they may have enrolled him in school and he would be recognized. Even though they did get people sending in tips, not one of the tips led to Kurt. Police believe that Kurt is still in the woods, and there is hope that his remains will be found eventually. The disappearance is certainly disturbing, but the facts are less than mysterious. If we assume the little boy vanished where his tricycle was, on the side of the road, then we start there. The scene of the vanishing was disturbed. The caretaker drove down that road, removed the tricycle, walked about, threw it on a pile of trash, And then later, over 3,000 volunteers visited the site. Traces of a struggle would not be immediately identified. Footprints would be lost. The entire scene would be compromised. The scent dogs that could not pick up the scent but wandered throughout the forest tried their best. But scent dogs do not work well in the rain, in damp, cold conditions, as it was throughout that week. And again, the scent dogs had so many people searching about and wandering around them that they were most likely confused. The military C-130H aircraft that flew over the area in search of Kurt was only useful in theory if and only if the boy was alive and visible. They arrived five days after Kurt disappeared, and it is almost certain if he had ventured into the woods, he would not be alive by then. In addition, 
The pilots and crew members said they had extreme difficulty in the mission due to the low, thick overhead clouds and heavy rain that was constantly falling. In fact, during some missions, the ground search was halted because the weather was so intense you could not see more than a foot in front of you. There were also signs of animal tracks everywhere, as well as footprints from all the volunteers. It was not the most ideal search, but it was done with great concern and haste. Even though so many people searched, the woods are exceptional at hiding things in plain sight. There have been reports of advanced search and rescue personnel who overlooked a missing person only feet away from them where they had searched multiple times before. And in this particular case, the search and rescue teams were volunteers, many of whom did not step into the woods at all previously. Jill and Ron Newton have hope that their son is still alive and that perhaps an abduction occurred. The clue that the tricycle was at the side of the road perhaps is the only piece of evidence that suggests that this had occurred. If a car approached, perhaps Kurt rode off to the side and waited. But in most cases of child abduction, the victim is never alive very long. The family of Kurt dismiss other theories that have gained popularity over the case. Police involved in the vanishing also dismiss the ideas that Bigfoot is to blame as pure nonsense. There are folks that will say and do anything, embellish a story, and make it their own, all for a quick buck, they say. It is true. Certain individuals will intentionally leave out information to fit their own agenda, and really, they are just exploiting missing children and grieving families for their own agenda. For the Newton family, there is still optimism that he is still alive. An age-progressed photo was made to show what Kurt would look like at age 12. There are also rumors of a small pedophile ring operating in the North Maine County, but these allegations have never been connected to the vanishing of Kurt Newton. On July 18th of 2017, a woman came forward and suggested that she is Jennifer Klein who disappeared in 1974 at age three. A YouTube video was published where a woman named Michelle Hooper had DNA testing done and it proved her identity and that she was Jennifer Klein. She claimed her abductors were members of a satanic cult and they had kidnapped Kurt Newton and eaten Pats as well. She said she was brainwashed and didn't start remembering what happened until after she was injured in a car accident. Law enforcement, however, determined that she was not Jennifer Klein and that the whole fiasco was an awful hoax. The Newton family just wants to know one thing. Where is Kurt? If you have any information about this case, please contact law enforcement. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios 
and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.